Well, good morning. I hope you're enjoying your holiday time and with family and traveling. We've got a lot of folks out, a lot of good faces here with us this morning. So it's a good time of the year, at least for uh, opportunities to maybe see folks that we haven't seen and meet new people. So uh, we appreciate uh, you being with us this morning. So I'm going to give you just a real quick couple of reminders. So uh, January 19th and 20th, our No Debt, No Sweat seminar is coming up, and uh, Brother Steve Diggs will be here uh, to conduct that. He will preach Sunday morning. We'll have a 5 o'clock abbreviated devotional so that we can uh, be ready to transition and greet guests who are coming at 6 o'clock for the evening seminar. So there'll be a 6 p.m. seminar, uh, then a little break, and then a 7. So there are two sessions but it's showing 6 to 8 p.m., so just so you understand that. Uh, and then Monday night, the same thing, uh, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, also. Still looking for those who uh, may be willing to, to kind of help uh, coordinate and facilitate child care. We're determining whether or not we can offer that. Uh, that's going to take folks able to, to uh, participate in that in order to do so. So if you'll let me know, um, then uh, we, can, we can decide within the next uh, week or so if we're going to be able to advertise child care for the sessions uh, in the evening for this seminar. So be praying about this. Uh, this week, social media stuff will start coming out uh, quite frequently. Please share that. Uh, you don't have to be in debt to benefit from this seminar. This is about biblical stewardship, how, how we are entrusted with God's stuff, which anything you put your finger on is God's stuff because it would not be here without Him creating this world. It's how we, entrusted with that, can manage it to His glory. And so that can be from from trying to get out of debt, which is very real for a very bunch of people, especially here in the United States, uh, to just being able to to teach and instruct the next generation. How do you talk to your kids or your grandkids about money? Well, Steve's going to give you some some talking points, some ways to to kind of uh, interject that. Uh, as, as we walk along uh, life together with our loved ones. So be praying about that. And again, uh, if you can help with child care, let us know. Uh, so as I mentioned, in two weeks, we're going to begin a walk through the Bible together. And so uh, we'll begin in Genesis, and uh, each week we'll have a certain reading. And then the, the Sunday sermons will be taken from some portion of that reading. It may not be exact, uh, but it will be within that section. Uh, and so there's an app that goes along with this. And again, more information coming out. I'm just reminding you of what we've talked about uh, so that you can follow along. And there's some really great uh, kind of video introductory uh, segments that go along with each section of Scripture. Well put together, well done. We've used those in Bible classes before. Uh, I think will be very beneficial to all of us uh, as, we, uh, as we walk through the Bible. I know some of you, are uh, every year you read through the Bible and you have your schedule. So if you don't, I uh, just invite you to join us in ours. If not, uh, then uh, you know, however we can engage more fully with God's Word is going to be a blessing, not only to us, but to, to those that, that we influence in our day-to-day lives. So I was thinking about, you know, this time of the year you start thinking back. And, and, and I was, uh, I'm a child of the 80s, right? And so I most identify with the 80s because that's kind of, those are my formative years. So I turned, I turned 11 in 1980, right? And so don't take your phones out. I'm 50, okay? There I said it, I'm 50, all right? So, uh, but, but junior high came in, in the 80s. You know, big transition there. I got my license in the 80s. 
I voted for the first time in the 80s. I mean, big stuff happened to me in the decade of the 80s. Big events in a kid's life happened to me in the 80s. And here's the deal. Anytime I heard my grandparents or a grandparently person talk about World War II, I thought, man, that was way back in the 40s. That was way back, that was 40 years ago. And now the 80s were 40 years ago. Do you realize that? The 80s were 40 years ago. But it was Christmas Eve 1941 when Bing Crosby was hosting the Kraft Music Hall radio show. And for the first time, America and all the world would hear these words. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Seventeen days after Japan bombed Pearl Harbor... America was struggling to celebrate Christmas in this, this new and, and, and yet, uh, uh, yet to understand reality. And you know, this year as we go through this season, there, there are some brothers and sisters, there are some of our family who are struggling to, to, to celebrate this time of the year in, in a new reality for them because they're, they're, they're living life now in a way they never have before. And so it's challenging. But White Christmas is the biggest selling single of all time. So how has it stood for so long? How has one record made it so long? How did Michael Jackson not beat out this one record for a single? Well, I think it harkens us back to this idyllic time, this, this, this white Christmas when everything is right and everyone's in their place. Everything is beautiful and, and, and everyone is happy, right? That's what the song evokes. And so this time of the year when we all probably reflect... You know, days gone by. Old Lang Syne will sing in a few days. More innocent days, perhaps. At least they seem so in our mind, right? It seems so much simpler back then. The good old days is the way we like to remember them. And there's a part of us that longs for those days. We long for that. And so when the song was released, White Christmas was released, men were being sent across the ocean to die and to fight. And they would do that for a few Christmases after this. And so we long once again for the white, the beautiful, the, the pure environment poetically spoken of in this song. And here's the thing. Many more people celebrate the birth of Jesus than actually submit to His Lordship. See, there's this grand narrative of God that's way bigger than any one event. Because the works of God encompass all of time. It's past, present, and future. That's all of this, all wrapped up into what Scripture reveals is God's sovereignty. That's God's supreme authority over all things. Everything is under His control. And so we've been examining the last few, few weeks here and during this month the, the colors of Christmas. And so we looked at, you know, I wanted to plant some seeds of thought, as I mentioned at the outset, so that as conversations develop around us, maybe we would have some, some, some opportunities to interject the gospel into those conversations. We might open a door of dialogue. And so just planning, I'm, I'm a very visual person. And so hopefully associating colors with some scriptural thoughts, I hope that's been beneficial to you. And so we've looked at how blue is, is a color of hope. Blue is a color of promise. And we looked at how red is a color of salvation. And, and green is the color of renewal. It's a color of redemption. And so finally today, we're going to consider how for Christians, we long not for the pure dream of a white Christmas, but we long for the dominion of a holy God. That's our yearning. And so I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah this morning as we begin. And I'm going to highlight a few points along the way of this journey 
to the Messiah. And so we, we find ourselves on, on the back end of His first appearance. And now we all eagerly await this second and final coming when all things are going to be made right. And so 700 years before a child was born, Isaiah says this, Come, let's consider your options, says the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Though your sins have stained you like the color red, you can become white like snow. Though they are as easy to see as the color scarlet, you can become white like wool. If you have a willing attitude and obey, then you will again eat the good crops of the land. But if you refuse and you rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Know for certain that the Lord has spoken. And so the, the, the word here in, in this section is settle or reason or, or consider. What he's really saying here is let's sit down and argue this out. Let, let, let's debate this. The, the root of this word is to correct. So let's see who is correct. Let's get this right. And so for people who are, who are longing for what white Christmas represents, let's get this right. Because the meaning of this can change your life through the the last few days of 2019 and into a whole new decade. And so God's Word is powerful and effective to change our lives. And Isaiah lived in Jerusalem and he prophesied for God prior to the exile of the Jews and, and he preaches into the exile period. So a dark time for the people. And so the prophet calls out the people because the most vulnerable in their society, the orphans and, and the widows and, and the foreigner, the immigrants, they were not being cared for. And so although judgment will come, judgment will come, the message of judgment is tied to this message of hope. There is still hope because God's going to raise up a king, a king who will rule with justice and mercy and equity for all of the people, unlike any other ruler that's been before him or will come after him. And so in chapter 6 of Isaiah, he encounters the Lord in a temple vision. And we read here in verse 3 that that, that these, these heavenly beings called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts. His majestic splendor fills the entire earth. The sound of their voices shook the door frames and the temple was filled with smoke. Because you see, until you see God for who He is, you cannot truly and fully see yourself for who you are. And so Isaiah responds, as anyone would respond who, who has seen God, he says, woe to me, right? Woe to me. I'm ruined, I'm destroyed, I'm finished. For my lips are contaminated by sin. He thinks he's going to die here. And I live among people whose lips are contaminated by sin. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. So he knows he needs rescue, right? In the presence of holy God. And to his surprise, instead of being met with judgment... Instead of just being removed from existence, which God could have certainly done before this holy God, instead, He's restored. He's renewed. But then one of the seraphs flew toward me. In his hand was a hot coal, and he he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Look, this coal has touched your lips. Your evil is removed. Your sin is forgiven. And so God touches His lips with coal here and cleanses them. Instead of being wiped out, He's restored. 
And so this calling in Isaiah 6 becomes a personification of his life. And so his message to the people is going to be that, yes, judgment has come, but God is not going to destroy you. And in fact, He's going to bring you a rescuer. And so God will cleanse you, and then He will use you to bless the nation. That's the covenant God made with Abraham, right? Nothing the people have done has destroyed this covenant. From the time God entered into it with Abraham, nothing the people have done. All of the wickedness, all of the rebellion, all of the the, the turning their backs on God, nothing they have done has ruined this covenant. Why is that? Because the covenant was not between Abraham and God. I'm playing a little English here. The covenant was between God and and Abraham. It was God who initiated the covenant, not Abraham. So it's God who sustains it. God who honors it. We saw Star Wars last week, and I won't spoil anything for the two or three of you who haven't seen it yet, revealing any details. So I don't want to divulge the mystery of the movie. But here's the thing. Eternity is not a mystery. It's not some mystery waiting to be revealed because God has uncovered it. He's laid it bare for all of us to see this this mystery. In fact, His final reveal, Jesus tells us that, that the covenant is going to be brought to its completion. God will finally and ultimately fulfill it. Despite every attempt by Satan to turn the hearts of mankind, Jesus says God's covenant will be satisfied. And so this is a revelation. Jump way ahead here. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. As John receives this vision... Christ shows him. He says, After these things I looked, and here was an enormous crowd that no one could count, made up of persons from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They were shouting in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so Jesus says, This blessing is going to be realized. It will be realized by you. See, Jesus didn't become king when He was born. Jesus wasn't made a king during His ministry. Jesus didn't earn His kingship at His death. Jesus has always been king. And that's hard for us to understand. It is. It's hard hard to see. It's hard to feel. When life is hard to understand and when God's love is hard to see, And it's hard to feel. It was hard for Isaiah. It was hard for Israel. Been in captivity for so long. Isaiah goes on, chapter 6. He said, Go and tell these people, listen continually, but don't understand. Look continually, but don't perceive. Make the hearts of these people callous. Make their ears deaf and their eyes blind. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Their hearts might understand and they might repent and be healed. He's not saying go fix it so they can't, they can't understand. He's saying no matter what you say, they're so stubborn, they're not going to hear it. But say it anyway. Say it anyway. And then I replied, Isaiah says, How long, Lord? He said, Until cities are in ruins and unpopulated, and houses are uninhabited, and the land is ruined and devastated, and the Lord has sent the people off to a distant place, and the very heart of the land is completely abandoned. And even if only a tenth of the people remain in the land, it will again be destroyed. 
like one of the large sacred trees or an Asherah pole, when a sacred pillar on a high place is thrown down. That sacred pillar symbolizes the special chosen family. And as we saw last week, God creates beauty from ashes. Our God creates beauty from ashes. God is life. And He's light. And, and, and the seed of promise has been firmly planted in the soil of eternity so that nothing man can do will destroy that. It is evergreen. And Assyria will destroy. Babylon will come through and will destroy. He said, you won't see the covenant. You will not feel the covenant. But God is faithful to His Word. And He says, for this reason, the Lord Himself will give you a confirming sign. Look! This young woman is about to conceive and will give birth to a son. You, young woman, will name him Emmanuel. And we know from New Testament, that's God with us, is the meaning of that. 700 years before Christ is born, the people suffer and the nations wage war. And Isaiah tells the the tale of two cities, right? One ravaged of depravity and brokenness, and the other city ruled by a king who wields justice and peace. But this king is called a child. And for us, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are words only given to God Himself. His dominion will be vast and He will bring immeasurable prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of heaven's armies will accomplish this. This is the Lord's passion. Scripture says His plans will accomplish this. So you think about all that has been accomplished through the passions of mankind, right? The passion for science. Passion for health, passion for wealth, passion for for power, peace, passion for rest. All that we've accomplished. The problem is all of our pursuits get mixed up just as our source of passion gets all mixed up. But God is holy. God is pure. God is just. God is merciful. And His passions are perfect. And the plans that are driven by His passion are perfect. And so this city, Isaiah prophesies of being destroyed, God's going to bring a new city, a new city from these ashes where God will reign through a new king, a perfect king. And we won't be dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones we used to know because this kingdom will be unlike anything we've ever experienced, more wonderful than we could ever imagine and ever realize on our own for sure. And yet this king will be unlike any other who we would have pointed for ourselves. Because the beautiful wretchedness of this king is revealed in Isaiah chapter 53. Suffering servant. So when you think of of, of strength and beauty, what do we think of? We think of probably physically fit, right? Glowing complexion. Impeccable clothing maybe. Maybe we think of, when we think of strength and beauty, maybe financially strong. You know, and we, could, we check off these boxes and, and then any of those boxes that can't be checked off, well, then we downgrade that person. Whether it's someone else or, or, or whether it's ourselves. We don't live up to the standard 
They don't live up to the standard, which really isn't a standard because the standard is something that, 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 that's, that's used or accepted as normal, something that's average. And the only thing average about any of us is that we are all messed up somehow <laughs> and in some way. That's our average. So did Jesus come to show us what it's like to be God? Or did Jesus come to remind us what it's like to be human? What standard have we created? Jesus was despised. He was rejected by good church folk. <laughs> you know, it said the Jews were good church folk. They grew up in the church. Jesus bore the sins, not just of criminals, He was crucified between, and those who commit unspeakable acts, not just those folks locked up far away where they're uh, out of any danger to, to imposed upon us. Jesus bore the sins of you and me. And under holy standards, aren't we all the same? But He lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain, even though we thought He was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something He had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of His wounds, we have been healed. And all of us have wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off on his own path, but the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. It, certainly most of you have seen a movie where, or at least can imagine a scene where a, a wild animal is attacking someone. And so maybe someone's with them and a different person starts yelling, hey, hey, get away, ah! You know, they start trying to distract this animal, flailing, you know, to get the animal to stop. And sometimes that animal turns and focuses their attack on the distractor, right? We've, we've seen or can imagine a situation like that. And yet God is not trying to distract the sin of mankind. God is commanding the sin of mankind to do His damage on God. Do it to me. God walks upon us lying in a fetal position on the ground in our life, being ravaged by sin. He rips the sin off of us and He puts it upon His only Son. And long before being Crosby recorded His heartwarming song of memory and of hope, the words of the Lord rang out in the ears of the people through Isaiah the prophet who proclaimed in chapter 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of the captives and the freeing of the prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show His favor, the day when our God will seek vengeance to console all who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal His splendor, all pointing to the Messiah, all pointing to God's Deliverer, who is the only remedy for all the consequences of evil in this world. And just as the sin of Adam affected the entirety of creation, as we saw last week, so the sacrifice of Jesus reverses the effects of that sin. Jesus comes to rescue. He comes to redeem. He comes to restore all of 
creation. Scripture describes this as, as making white as snow. Jesus is bringing everything back. Back to this perfect relationship that was had with God in the beginning. Come, let's consider your options. Let's, let's think about what your choices are, says the Lord. Though your sins have stained you like the color red, you can become white like snow. Though they are as easy to see as the color scarlet, you can become white like wool. It's back to where we belong. Back home again, where everything is right. Everything is in its place. And everyone is in their place. That's God's promise. That's Christ's purpose. And that is our longing. Isn't it? So we struggle in this already not yet uh, of our salvation, right? That's this real battle that we're in. The writings of New Testament implore Christians, don't give up. Don't give up. Remain steadfast. Keep the faith. Encourage one another with these words. And in the meantime, don't lose sight of the war. The war that's still going on around us and perhaps the war going on within us. And so let us be the people who through our lives our actions, our relationships, our abilities, our opportunities. Let us proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ. And we do that as we encourage the poor, as we help the brokenhearted, as we decree the release of those once held captive by sin and the freeing of those imprisoned by the cares of this world. And may our lives be an announcement that the year when the Lord will show His favor is now and tomorrow. And it's every day that Christians are engaged in the struggles of this world. What struggle are you in this morning? What battle are you fighting today? Realize these powerful, beautiful, pure words of Scripture that Christ has made you victorious over that battle. Christ has fought that battle and won it. You need only submit your life to Him. He knows your troubles. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the burdens that you carry every day. And yet He still calls you, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This morning, will you come to Jesus and lay your burdens down at His feet so that He can once again make you white as snow. Maybe that's sin in your life. Maybe there's a sin that you've been harboring in your heart. Sin maybe of an attitude. A sin of, of an action. A relationship. Maybe a position that you're in in life that you shouldn't be in. God calls you to repent of that. Turn away from that and turn back to Him. Let Him free you from, from, from Satan's lies that, that there's no way out. Because Christ has made the way out. And this morning, if you have not been baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, confess Him as Lord of your life, the only Son of God. Will you do that this morning and be made white as snow? We're going to stand down and sing a song of encouragement. If we can help you in any way while you're here today, will you please come?